Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. One of the other subjects that Aristotle discusses in Nicomachean Ethics Book 3, which is worth taking a look at, is what is translated very difficultly as wish or rational desire. Lasis, none of them are really satisfactory translations, but we don't have anything better than that. This is a fundamental form of affectivity, or rexis, the broadest term that Aristotle uses for any kind of affectivity or desire. And along with appetite and anger or thumos, like I said, it's one of those basic three. He doesn't tell us an awful lot about it in the Nicomachean Ethics. He does tell us a bit more about it in the rhetoric, but I'm going to stick here just to what he tells us in the Nicomachean Ethics about this important phenomenon. Now, in the context, he is contrasting it against deliberation and choice, or proiresis, which are different than it, in that they're concerned with means to a given end. It's bulesis that, among other things, gives us the desire for the end that says, that's what it is that I want over there. Deliberation and choice are concerned with how do I get over there. So wish is for, like I put here, it's exclusively for, as Aristotle says, ends. It doesn't really concern itself with means. And the way that he depicts it in certain respects kind of gives you the impression that it's, in certain ways, a little bit high in the sky, you might say, or imaginative. It it imagines ends that it can't possibly attain or achieve. It it represents that aspect of desire that goes way beyond the possible, way beyond what is realizable by us. We can wish for things that are indeed impossible. Aristotle has, as an example, immortality like that of the gods, you know, not something that the Greeks thought was, or at least Aristotle thought was up to human beings. I suppose some people did in fact think that, but it's, it's the sort of thing where you can say, yeah, I realize I can't have that, but I really do want it, and wouldn't it be great if I could attain that? And we have all sorts of, you know, wishes like that that are essentially unrealizable. Think about people's romantic ideas about the ideal partner who they are searching for, Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright or I suppose Mrs. Wright after she's been Ms. Wright or something like that. And, you know, they've got all this stuff and they're never actually going to do that. And sometimes it can be quite counterproductive if you have ends that keep occupying you from pursuing other ends that would be realizable for you. Not all things that we wish for are unrealizable. Many of them are. Aristotle uses as an example health. It is possible for us to be healthy. Not always for everybody, but people who are actually sick and not going to get any better can still wish for health. They can still desire it. Aristotle thinks that happiness, eudaimonia, is something that we have a wish for as well. Although people will conceive of it in different ways, won't they? As we've seen. So we can wish for things that are impossible. We can also wish for things that are not really up to us. They're possible, 
but they're contingent upon what other people do or how things turn out. You know, somebody might say, if I could just win the lottery, my life would, you know, all fall into place. And in that case, I understand that you could say they're treating the lottery and the winnings as a means to an end of happiness. But sometimes people can get fixated just on, if I won the lottery, right? And whether you win the lottery or not, okay, so they do say you got to pay to play, right? You can't actually win if you don't buy a ticket. But if you do buy a ticket, you're probably not going to win. Somebody's going to win, but odds are it's not going to be you. Unless you count, you know, perhaps getting a $5 payoff or something like that. In general, lottery tickets are a bad investment. All you have to do is, at least in the United States, look at the back where they show you the odds and you can see that it is really not up to us whether we succeed in games of chance. That's why we call them games of chance. There's all sorts of other things where we might have wishes for things and they're not really up to us. Consider, for example, having a happy family life when you've got a bunch of people in your family who can't get along with each other. Now, you could, you know, exert all of your effort and activity to try to get them on the same page, but it's ultimately not up to you. You can still have that desire, and in fact, having that desire is a good thing, Aristotle would say. It's just not going to be a realized desire. So we have those desires that are for things that are impossible. We have desires for things that are possible, but just not up to us. And then we have desires for things that are actually up to us, at least to some extent. Now, Aristotle asks a very interesting question and considers two different possible ways of looking at this before saying that there's something wrong with both of them and we have to combine them together into a better account. What are we actually wishing for? When we're wishing for something, we're regarding it as a good. That's why we desire it. That's why we wish for it, right? It's one of these fundamental kinds of orientation or desire, affectivity. Do we only wish for what is the actual good? You could say, well, look, Aristotle says all people desire happiness, so therefore they really are desiring something that is a genuine good. But then Aristotle could say, as he does, not everybody understands happiness in the same way. They imagine it to be something different. A lot of people just imagine it to be a life of pleasure, right? Hedonistic life. So is what is wished for only what is the actual good? Aristotle says that doesn't make sense. People wish for all sorts of things that are not actually good. They have all sorts of desires for things that might be good in some respect, but not good in general for people. They desire things sometimes that are good in general, but not actually for them as such, you know. And some people actually desire things that are bad. Why? Because they're vicious. They want to, for example, dominate others to, to the exclusion of the others from deliberative decision-making or genuine friendship or something like that. If you have that as a wish, there's something wrong there. That's not a genuine good. So Aristotle then says, well, another possibility is perhaps what is wished for is only what appears good to the one who's wishing for that. And he, he raises a problem with that. He says, they would be forced to admit there is no such thing as that which is by nature wished for, but that which each man thinks to be good is wished for in his case, yet different, and it may be opposite things appear good to different people. If we accept this notion expressed by the other one, that what is wished for, what fundamentally orients us towards ends that we then seek means for in our choices is only the apparent good, then all we have left is apparent goods, and there is no real good. There is no common good for humankind. It's just whatever happens to be in the eye of the beholder relativizes the good to such an extent that how can we even call anything good at that point? We can only say good for this person or good for that person. 
Aristotle says, well, we can get around this by saying we're going to make a distinction. There is what is wished for unqualifiedly. And when we translate unqualifiedly, in this case, it's this Greek term haplos, which means something like simply or per se. And Aristotle seems to think that that is what is wishable. That that is what we ought to be wishing for. doesn't mean that it actually is what any given person is wishing for. There's always going to be some people who are wishing for it because there's always some good, properly oriented people. But it may be in any given culture that many of the people are not wishing for that. And they actually regard the people who are to be stupid or backwards or hopelessly naive or something like that, right? And then there is what is wished for by a given person. Now, Aristotle is going to use an analogy here that's quite interesting. He says, accordingly, that the good man wishes for what is truly wished for, the bad man for anything as it may happen. Just as in the case of our bodies, a person of sound constitution finds really healthy food best for their health. Whether they're making an explicit judgment or it's just on the basis of their desires and, and their responses. But some other diet may be healthy for one who is delicate. And so with things bitter and sweet, hot, heavy, and etc. The good man judges everything correctly, what things truly are that they seem to him to be in every department. For the bad person, though, they're going to be misled. So their desires for ends are going to be off-base. They're going to desire some things that they shouldn't, which appear good to them, but aren't truly good in themselves. They may be good just in limited circumstances. They may not, in fact, be good at all. They may be good by means of being a way to attain other goods. They may be useful goods, but not, you know, genuine tokalon goods. Like, for example, when somebody becomes a miser and they just desire money, 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 money. Chesterton, by the way, has a really interesting observation about misers in one of his works where he says that the misers of the past could at least be forgiven because they wanted gold. And you can hold gold in your hands and it's quite pretty. So there is some pleasure to be derived from it, at least. Not as much pleasure as you could get by buying things with it, which is what the smart person who's not a miser would do, the practically smart person. But at least, you know, you can understand they, they like that chink. They like the luster of it, right? Not the same thing for numbers in a ledger or in our accounts online as we do it nowadays. To be that sort of miser is to be somebody who loves zeros, as many zeros as possible, so long as there's some number in front of it to begin with. But it's not to love something that is genuinely lovable. It's not to desire something that's genuinely, for its own sake, desirable as an end. So Aristotle is saying here that there's an analogy between the sick person and the healthy person, and you might say the morally well-developed person and the person who's got some growing to do, some work to do upon themselves, let alone the person who's really fallen outside and the bounds of the virtues and, and has fallen into vices. The vicious person is going to desire the wrong things, and that's part of what makes them vicious. So this is a very important aspect of human nature. Like I said, it's one of the main forms of affectivity for us, and it orients us towards these ends, which then we have to find the means for through things like deliberation and choice. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com slash Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.